Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. It's usually at this point I realize it wasn't such a good idea to accept the minister's invitation to lead worship. Standing here in front of you all. Now, you might imagine that being invited to preach in a new church uh, somewhere else um, would be harder. Uh, Not so, in my experience, uh, anyway. Um, Because, well, if you go somewhere else and you make a mistake with the order of service, well, folk just shrug their shoulders, have a wee giggle, and just say, does he know what he's doing? And that's fine, we just move on. If the, the, the sermon's not very good, they'll just say, okay, thank you, and you'll not be asked back. And that's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. And maybe if it's okay, they'll have you back if they're really stuck, and life goes on, and the congregation's life goes on. Not so in your home church. In your home church, I think I've got to be so careful not to appear to abuse this position, to comment on congregational matters. I was painfully aware of that during our vacancy and frequently spoke to both our interim moderators uh, to make sure that what I was saying was correct and appropriate and not seem to be influencing matters that I had no influence, should have no influence over. So, I was relieved to be guided to our Bible texts today about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, is the sermon title. So, thank you for your prayers uh, for me and for the service this morning. Uh, At a time when COP26 has encouraged us all to think uh, and to act to protect the environment, it's strangely relevant to consider Colossians, as Margaret read so well, Uh, because Colossians speaks about Jesus' place in creation. All things have been created through him and for him. That second part is sometimes overlooked. We're all familiar in the various uh, creeds, the Nicene, the Apostles' Creed, in our hymns. We sing and speak of God as our Creator. But Colossians and other parts of Scripture go beyond that. All things have been created through him and for him. He sustains creation. It's not just so much an ecosystem as a theosystem. God not only created the universe, but Jesus somehow keeps it going, sustains it, pulls it all together. He holds everything together for all that uh, we in our polluting ways have been seeking to uh, upset that beautiful balance. Now, good, well-intentioned people around the world 
care about our ecosystem and environment. But often they can't figure out why we destroy and exploit it so recklessly. It's plainly against our own long-term self-interest. But when we read about the fall, when we read in the Bible about our sinful natures, then perhaps we understand why people, despite evidence to the contrary, still pursue such reckless, destructive policies. It's as if we need a good theology before we get a theosystem and then can address the ecosystem. Because as sinners, our sin affects us, our sin affects others, and our sin affects the planet. We can't rescue the ecosystem without a good theology, a theosystem. And if that's a new word, you heard it first here. It's lovely that the writer to Colossians then moves on very naturally to speak about the church. Well, he's still not lost focus on Jesus. He's speaking about Jesus. But first he speaks of Jesus' work in the theosystem, in creation, sustaining it. But he then speaks of Jesus in the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is supreme in the church, as it says in verse 19. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and speaks about his work in reconciling the world, the fallen world, back to the Father through the cross. Now, that's the good news we've to share with the world of sins forgiven, of new life reconciled to God. And that's making a difference to our lives here and now, to our relationships with others, and to a wonderful eternity yet kept for us in heaven. This hope inspired people like Paul and others, and still does to this day. But good, well-intentioned Christian people around the world, they care about the church. But sometimes we struggle to figure out why the church seems to be in decline. And the way to figure this out is the same as before. We read in the Bible about the church. And there we read in the letter to Revelation, as we'll look at later, and in these pastoral epistles to the various churches, such as the one at Colossae, how the church is all about Jesus, and yet how sometimes we can add to that, and we can strengthen that, and we can share the good news with others to draw people in, and also we read it how we can make mistakes, just as we are with the environmental crisis. On a personal note, 
Um, when I was training for the ministry uh, in Glasgow, um, I studied um, Hebrew under uh, Professor Davidson, one of the moderators of the General Assembly. Uh, and that was a very, very interesting two and a bit years with him. I didn't study church history, although the professor there, hearing I had done archaeology, did invite me to go and dig up Augustine of Hippo's church in what we would now call Libya. But a certain young lady was supporting me through my BD, and I think zooming off to dig up some ancient ruins in Libya would just have been a bit too far, I think. So I carefully declined that uh, invitation to study history, church history. But my understanding, limited understanding of such things is that heresies usually begin when the place of Jesus is brought down, sometimes just a little bit, sometimes a bit more, and sometimes it's plain as the hand in front of your face that that's not right to speak about Jesus like that. Modern sects also reduce the place of Jesus in their churches and reduce the place of the Bible that speaks of Jesus or brings out a new Bible that doesn't speak of Jesus in the way that we would do. And when we reduce the place of Jesus, his supremacy, his centrality, his headship in the body of Christ, we do put ourselves in some jeopardy. Because you see, whether then or now, it's still all about Jesus. He really is everything the Gospels portray him as. We're about to enter Advent. We were talking about Christmas there. Christmas, what does Christmas teach us? Well, Christmas teaches that this is no ordinary baby. Well, well, every parent knows that, and every doting grandparent certainly knows that. Although many a grandparent will say, oh, you've got your grandpa's eyes, or your granny's nose, or something like that. Every baby is special, of course. But this baby, this Jesus, is the Son of God. As we sing, as we will shortly start to sing, and as we see all through Scripture, his childhood, well, he, we know people who were children who were wise beyond their years, but at 12 Jesus or, or so, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he knew he was in his father's house, speaking about eternal things when his parents finally found him. And we see in his baptism, and we read and we hear the Word of God in his baptism. Well, many of you would have been baptized or brought your children to be baptized here at this font, and we recognize this as a significant moment as parents, grandparents, godparents. But not at our parents, not at our baptism did God's voice boom out, you are my son my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was special, as seen in his baptism. And in his leadership of people, he called the disciples, he spoke to Andrew, he made an impression on these very earthy 
uh, fishermen, and they spread the word, inviting their brothers and fellow fishermen and others. He was a leader amongst people, men and women, and he was a teacher. Of course, others had the title rabbi, but those who heard him said, no one spoke as he spoke. And we still have his parables. We still have the Sermon on the Mount. We still see the effect of his teaching ministry and his miracles as well, his healing, his helping, all glimpses of his divinity. For who else could do what he did? We sometimes overlook his work as a pastor, caring for those who became his disciples, caring for that larger than 12 band of people and followers, caring for others, and molding these disciples into the proto-church that would soon take the gospel out into the world. As a pastor, he was unique. And the Redeemer, who can argue with this, his death upon the cross and his resurrection, not a dead martyr as head of our church, but as a risen Savior. He is all the Gospels say He is, and still He intercedes for us, as Romans 8 reassures us. He continues to pray for us. That's His ongoing ministry for you and for me and for Stonelaw. Thanks be to God. You see, it's still all about Jesus. And then the passage that caught my imagination, Revelation. It's a passage I'm familiar with and we've looked at not so long ago, but it's about Jesus walking amongst the early churches. They're named and listed as Margaret read. And then in chapter 1 and into chapter 2 and on into chapter 3, there's a personal word for each congregation. Jesus walks amongst the churches of that time, of that place, and He knows them. He knows their culture, the way they did things. He knows their groups and factions. They didn't always get on. And even individuals are named in this, what we now call, book of Revelation, letters to the early churches. Smyrna and Philadelphia are two that are singled out for praise. He says, I know your persecution, Smyrna, so don't be afraid. I know your deeds, all positive comments to Philadelphia. To the others, there's a mixture, there's a realism. Ephesus, I know your good deeds, but you've lost your first love. Pergamum, I know this difficult situation you're in, but you still need to repent of that sin that's present in your congregation. Thyatira, I know your love and your service, 
but you have a false teacher. Sardis, I know your reputation of being alive, but in fact you're dead, or very early. No sugar-coated pill here. This is a realistic picture of the early church. And Laodicea, I know that you are lukewarm. And from this letter comes that wonderful painting and text. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You'll know that painting, perhaps you've heard that text of Jesus knocking, waiting for the people to respond to this letter, to this call to wake up and find their first love again. Imagine Jesus queuing to get into Stone Law this morning. Imagine Jesus walking amongst us. From the balcony, you'd get a better view of Jesus being present. What would he see? What would he hear? What would he have read in our emails? What would he think of Stonelaw? What would he think of the Church of Scotland and of Glasgow Presbytery? Well, for those of us who are struggle just now, during these very strange times, this truth from Scripture of Jesus knowing the church, being present and addressing the church by name, is of great help, surely. I'm not alone after all. The Lord is, is here and that hope helps us face the difficulties that are very real amongst us. Perhaps some of us are very worried for others, for, for family, for friends. Well, Jesus is present, and that's a great encouragement for us to pray and seek Jesus' help. And for those beaten down by life or by others, what a, an encouragement to lift up your head. Jesus is here. It's still all about Jesus. And he does not abandon his people. Of course, for those who scoff at such talk, whose pride gets in the way of their faith, who lord it over others rather than serve in the church, I wonder what Jesus thinks of such behavior. I'm no prophet, so I can't and I won't answer that question. I'll leave it for the Lord of the church himself. We'll see. Amen.